Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. One, you get one guess what book we're in. John. Okay, please turn to your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And uh, James and I have actually been kind of game planning. Uh, in, a, in a few weeks, we'll be uh, taking uh, a really cool extended break from the Gospel of John. So we're really, um, it's just a teaser. No, we're not, I'm not going to give you any details about that, but uh, details forthcoming. Um, but we're looking forward to that. But right now, we're still in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. There is a phrase in our culture called FOMO. You guys know this phrase, FOMO? F-O-M-O? Nancy says she has FOMO. It's, it's fear of missing out. You guys know this? Fear of missing out. Uh, and it kind of speaks to that component of human nature that says, other people have it better than I do, and I'm missing out on something. And in our age of like, social media and whatever, FOMO can be really, really bad. It's stoked by like perfect pictures of the nice songs on vacation and like, you know, whatever. You know, people post their dinner. It's so weird. What would we do? Who would, I mean, it's a good thing we have Facebook. Otherwise, you'd have to send 500 individual pictures of your dinner to people. But it's perfectly lit, and everybody's happy and smiling. We get, we get FOMO. I'm like, look how good they're having it, man. Uh, it, it, I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on something in life, and what, what am I going to do? That's FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, and we all, be real, we all experience fear of missing out in some way or another to some degree or another. But popular um, studies show us that there's another more fundamental fear that we have as human beings that can even be more of sort of an entrapment. It can latch onto us and control us and hinder us and lock us down way more even than the fear of missing out. And that's the fear of the future. Not the fear of what I might, uh, you know, what I might be missing out on, but fear of what you think you might actually experience in the future. It's the idea that, you know, life, man, life is so hard right now. If it were to get any harder, I don't know if I could take it. Anybody ever feel that way besides me? Listen, as somebody, I don't mind telling you, as somebody that has, and in some ways still does, experience uh, really weird and difficult health problems that don't seem to go away, uh, they just kind of hang around and hang around and hang around, and some things get worse. Um, I sometimes have fear of the future. I'm 44 years old. I don't know what my future holds. If you're 10 years old, you don't know what your future holds either. You don't. If you're 87 years old, you don't know what the future holds for you. You just don't. And so we can have fear of the unknown. Um, maybe you haven't just felt that way in the past. Maybe you feel that way right now. Well, a few weeks ago, we saw where Jesus promised his disciples who had fear of the unknown. They had fear of what was coming. 
Jesus was about to leave them, and they are huddled up. Um, we find after Je- we'll find after Jesus' crucifixion with fear of the future. So Jesus prepares them and says, "Listen, I, it's it's actually good that I go away. I'm going to send another one who's just like me. It's the Holy Spirit, and He will be with you, and He will be in you." And where we begin today in John chapter 16, verse 4b, <laughs> we, let, we cut off verse 4 the last time we were in the Gospel of John because in our, the, the uh, ESV it kind of puts another heading there. But we pick up in 4b, and from there to verse 15, it's kind of a repeat of the message that we went through with the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to skip that passage. I want to read it together, um, and then we'll use that for context As we go forward. So let's pick up in John chapter 16, verse 4, part B. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Let's pause right there. If you remember a couple weeks ago, they actually have asked Jesus, where are you going? Right? They said, Lord... Where are you going, and how do we know the way if we don't know where you're going? You guys remember this. So why would Jesus say, none of you ask me where I'm going? (laughs) Well, it's because, context is really important here, it helps us. Jesus says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus is saying, listen, I told you I'm going away, and I told you where I'm going, to the Father, but none of you are asking me about where I'm going. You're focusing on the fact that I'm leaving. Therefore, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus, I've told you about this amazing place where the Father, I will go to be with the Father, and you're not asking me about that. Therefore, sorrow has filled your heart. Uh, Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, that's kind of a repeat, uh, almost word for word, of what Jesus said in our message about the Holy Spirit. If you haven't heard that when I watched it on YouTube or whatever, it's just called the Holy Spirit. And I would recommend you go to our YouTube channel and check that out. Then, two weeks ago, we took a break from the Gospel of John uh, for Mother's Day where Steve Linhart crushed it and talked about the sovereign God and four ordinary people. And then we left off um, uh, just before that with the message called Hated for Christ. And again, where we studied these people, because of some things that Jesus had told them, learned some things that would make anybody fearful of the future. Jesus says they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. They're going to, they're going to he told some of them, uh, like Peter, Peter, Peter wanted to say, Lord, I want to follow you where you're going. Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will, right? They were going to be killed uh, for Jesus' sake, so they had fear of the future. So 
um, this week's passage is sort of like a part two of that hated for Christ message. And I want to encourage us that as we kind of face difficulties in life that make us uh, afraid of the future, um, God, who created the heavens and the earth, through our times of difficulty, is shaping the world around us. And in fact, he is shaping us. Not in spite of the difficulty, but through the difficulty, God is shaping us. I want to encourage you to trust God's process. Okay, this is not like the process of the Philadelphia 76ers, which is not working out very well. Right? This is God's process. His process is processes. Processes? How do you say that word, plural? Processes. Thank you. God's processes. And God's process for your life is perfect and good and holy and just and righteous and will be accomplished and will be for your good and for his glory. So let's pick up in John 16, verse 16 through 33. We'll read through the end of uh, the chapter there. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. But Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Well, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? (laughs) Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to be returning to heaven, and they don't get it. They don't get it. 
And sometimes I, th- I think we don't get it either. So he begins it explaining to them, again in, in verse 20, he kind of gives them a summary of what he's talking about. So it's important for us to know exactly what God's process is all about. Look at verse 20 with me again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus is saying that God's process is turning sorrow into joy. That's what God's process in your life is, is turning sorrow into joy. Listen, hallelujah goes right there. If uh, Some of you know what I mean. You, you've, been, um, you've been through some things, and you've seen that. You've seen God's process in your lives. Many of you could and actually do testify of God's faithfulness. And if you look back on times in, in your life, and you think, man, at the time, those things seemed unbearable. You weren't just in a valley, man. You were in a pit. Anybody know what that's like? In a pit, there's like no light coming in. You can't see the way out. All I can see is the pit, and it's cold and dark. And I, I, where is God? Um, but as you look back, maybe you can get a glimpse of what God has done in you through your time in the pit. And in the pit, you actually met God there in that pit. But that's easy to say uh, now that we're not in the pit, isn't it? But maybe some of you are. Maybe you're in the middle of a period of suffering. It's much more difficult to talk about, man, God's faithful, God's good when I'm hurting, when I'm suffering. Now, Jesus knows that we can struggle with that. He knows that his disciples We're struggling with that, so he gives them an example to consider. Look at verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has come into the world. So God's process is turning sorrow into joy, and Jesus is saying God's process won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Mothers, having a child easy? No. Praise God for epidurals, right? So I said, yep, <laughs> I heard that, right? Get, having a, having, just carrying a child is hard enough. Back hurting all the time. Your hormones are crazy. Like you've got like a, another person inside. It's a weird thing let alone like giving birth. They say giving birth is pain like having a bad death. Like, like it's t- childbearing is a hard thing. But moms, don't you know and can testify that life itself was born out of your body through that pain. So when you look back on your little, your little newborn, or your four-year-old, or your 19-year-old, or your 30-year-old, was it not worth it? A thousand times yes. I, it's amazing to me when I, when I first, as like a human being, began to realize like what women go through to have babies, I, I couldn't imagine why so many people were on the planet. <laughs> like, why would they do that over and over? And didn't their mom tell them what happened, like how rough it was? Like, why would women want to do this again? It's because of the joy. That life has come into the world, and they're so excited about this, and it's completely and totally worth it. Um, 
I told you that um, when we went through our message of hated for Christ, that we should remember a few things when we're going through this difficulty. And one of them was that we should remember the life of Jesus, right? That Jesus took a lot. Jesus was persecuted every single place he went. In fact, he had a band of guys that would follow him around just to heckle him. And all along, they were plotting to kill him. And guess what? They did beat and kill him. And that we should remember the words of Jesus when he told us that disciples aren't greater than their masters. If he was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. And lastly, we learned during that message that we should keep the big picture in mind. God is at work doing something. And this passage here today teaches us those things again. But today I want to encourage you another little nuance on those. I would encourage you to remember what God has done in the past in your life and trust God's process in the now because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here in our passage, Jesus was telling his disciples, yep, I'm leaving. And he would also return to them. And that when he did return to them, and there's going to be this gap. There's going to be this time of confusion. Jesus is going to leave. He said, you will weep in sorrow. And we, we've seen that. But the world is going to rejoice. People who hate Jesus rejoice when Jesus and his disciples are persecuted or suffer. And we saw that then and we see that now. And Jesus is saying, but your sorrow will turn to great joy. Well, how? pause. How can they know that Jesus is going to return? Can you imagine sitting in the room and Jesus says, listen, I'm going away. And we know previously John has said he was saying these things to describe the way he's going to die. How would they know that Jesus was going to return? Audience participation. Okay, he's Jesus and he told them, right? And so let's, let's camp out there for a minute. Way, way, way back in the book of Genesis, like way to the left, first book in your Bible, God had began telling people, I'm like in hints and clues, and it got louder and louder and clearer and clearer until one day the Messiah actually came. God had begun promising Jesus the Messiah way, way, way back in the, the book of Genesis. Thousands of years pass, and Jesus is born when the time is God's time when the time is right. So because he's God, Jesus is God, and he told him he's going to, hey, I'll see you again. He had promised before, the Lord had promised the Messiah for thousands of years. And where was he? And prophets would come along and, and reiterate, listen, no, no, really, really, he's coming. A couple hundred years later, another prophet, yeah, no, really, 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 he's coming. Did the Messiah arrive? Yes. Is God good for his word? Yes. How did they know that Jesus was going to raise from the dead? Because he had promised thousands of years ago that he was coming, and he came. So when he promises he will raise from the dead, he will raise from the dead. And I'm here to tell you now, when he says he's going to come back and get you, because he said he's going to come the first time, and he did, and he said he was going to raise from the dead, and he did. When Jesus says he's going to come back and get you, he will. Take it to the bank, because God, well, the, the bank is not a place that's very trustworthy these days, is it? God's, God's more trustworthy than the bank. Do you put your money in the bank? Trust your life to the Lord then. I didn't plan on saying that, but I think it fits. I think it fits. Let me write, let me write that down. That's pretty good. 
So, so I would encourage you to, to remember your own walk with the Lord, right? There were t- those, during those times where you didn't think, man, God, does God, I don't feel my faith right now. I don't like people talk about, oh, just experience the presence of the Lord. I don't really know what that is right now, God, but I'm asking for it. Ever been there? Uh, but time and time again, as we see time progress and we can look back, hindsight's 2020, we can see that God was faithful even during that time. I, and I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll keep a whole stack. I, during my, um, during my brain injury, I've, I've told you guys about this before. There have been times where I've literally been laying in the fetal position, crying in my bed for, I don't know why. <laughs> the brain is a weird thing. Um, and I would sleep with my Bible like this. I had certain Psalms that I would read every night trying to go to sleep. And I would sleep with my Bible like this so I could look out of my eye, raise my head, and just read it. And then try to go and read it and try to go back to sleep. And I would cry and weep. And I felt that God was nowhere. I felt that God was so far away from me. Like, God, could is this your plan? Like, I was a church planter. I was making disciples. Why? Why? I had trouble trusting God's process. Maybe you've had times that you've had trouble trusting God's process. I'm bearing my soul here to you guys, and I, 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 I'm trusting that you've experienced the same thing. If you haven't, you will. You will. It's part of the human experience. During those times, I didn't know what was up or down. Like physically, really, <laughs> my balance is all over the place, but spiritually, I, there was like no horizon. I couldn't make sense of anything. But God reminded me um, of what I just talked about. Think about the thousands of years where God's people were promised the Messiah, promised the Messiah, and where was he? They had been through slavery and persecution. Now they were under the boot of Rome, and they're still hearing about the Messiah. Well, where is he? Trust God's process. The Messiah came. Remember this cross. All of that history, all the rising and falling of kingdoms was about bringing Jesus to the cross for the sins of the world. Um, so remember God's process. Uh, there's a song by a band called Ghost Ship. If you follow me on Facebook, I posted a few songs this week. And this is one of the songs that God, you know, sometimes music that's got sound theology can do things in your soul that really few other things can. And I, So you won't hear music because I'm not going to sing for you. That's a blessing, I promise. You, you should, I should have got more amens at that time. Than, um, but it's... it's uh, it's called, it's called Remember. It's, from, it's called Doxology, and it's uh, taken from the book of Jude. Jude begins the book, or his letter to the church, um, reminding them of how God delivers his people. And he ends the book of Jude with what's called a doxology, or a song of praise to God for his glory. Okay, um, And the lyrics are like this. It's essentially a summary of what Jude says. This song says, Remember, Jesus brought you out of Egypt. Remember, he has sought you as his people. Remember, he has saved you from your sin. Remember, remember him. Remember, Jesus brought you through the Red Sea. Remember mighty miracles that you've seen. Remember, you were slaves and now are free. Remember that he is king. 
To the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, be glory, honor, power, and dominion before all time and now and evermore. Remember, Jesus raised above the heavens. He's coming. He's coming with his kingdom. Do not forget, he is seated on the throne. Remember what he has done. We, you guys ever have like spiritual amnesia? And you can only see like what you're in and you tend to forget what God has done in the past? Listen, when we remember what God has done in the past, we can have real, legit, grounded, solid hope, not just for the future. We don't have to have fear of the future, but we can have hope right now because God is the same now and forever because God's character doesn't change. Um, So, I just want to encourage you, if you get into times in your life where you have trouble seeing or feeling your faith or the presence of the Lord, just hit the pause button. Don't let the enemy get you spinning around and you don't get your own self worked up. Just hit the pause button and remember. Just remember who God is. Remember what God has done into the past, in the past. And and if, you know, if you're in a in a spot where you know, Terry, I can't, even, I can't even think about what God has done in the past. I can't really see anything that he's done for me in the past. All I feel is my pain right now. That's what Christian family's about. That's what this body of believers is about. Get around. Some, we, we're really blessed with some people who've been walking with Jesus for a while. So get, man, get, get in their hip pocket, man. Get close to somebody like that and say, can you just, just remind me Tell me, tell me some stories from your own life of, of God's faithfulness. Can you help me? I need to hear about God's faithfulness right now. And, man, you guys realize that there, there are two halves to this Bible. There's an Old and a New Testament. I want to encourage you to begin reading your Old Testament. Read your Old Testament. We have millennia, eons, thousands of years of God's Faithfulness, faith in in different cities, among different people, even among people who hadn't trusted in him. God is good to his own word. God is faithful to his character. He can do no other. So I would encourage you to read your Old Testament. It's a blessing. Uh, Even when you don't feel your faith, God is there. And and, And so... Get around some good, solid believers. Read your Old Testament. Ultimately, the reason we should trust God's process, you know it's going to come with a a reach life message, is because of the gospel. The reason we should trust God's process is because of the gospel. Again, look at um, verse 26 with me and 27. Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name, That doesn't sound surprising to us, but keep reading. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So I want you to catch what Jesus is saying right here. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the good news. He's saying that if you're a disciple of Jesus, there is something profound that is true about you. But before I get there, what's a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. What's a follower of Jesus? 
Jesus says a follower of his is one that believes he came from God. In other words, believes that he is God in the flesh, God the Son, sent as a man, stayed God, remained man, became the Savior of the world. And you're like, that's great because I need a Savior. <laughs> I'm a sinner, and I need somebody to forgive me, and Jesus is offering that forgiveness free of charge. It sounds weird, it's free of charge, but it will cost you your life. Jesus says, I will give you my life of righteousness and holiness. I will allow, the, fa- the Father has, has said that he will account Jesus' righteousness on your behalf when you place your trust in Jesus what, on what he did on the cross, bearing the penalty for your sin. When you place your trust in him, you're his disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says right here in these two verses that for disciples of Jesus, he says you can ask in Jesus' name. That means on his merit. I don't ask on my own merit. I can't approach the Father. I have no righteousness. I have no right to ask God anything. In Christ, though, he says, because the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Here's the profound thing. This is crazy. If you ever think, stop and think about this, it'll blow your mind. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, God the Father loves you as he loves Jesus. Wrestle with that for a second. Now, you don't become part of the Trinity, okay? You're still you, right? But in terms of acceptance, If you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the king of heaven and earth. And we can go directly to him. Jesus says that is amazing news, and that should make our hearts glad, regardless of what's going on. Jesus is saying that we can go directly to the king of heaven and earth, and that is his process. That has been his plan all along. That's what all of history is about. All of history is about God receiving glory through his eternal plan to bring sinners like me and like you to himself through the Savior. That's the plan of history. And we have this cross up here in this gathering every week as a reminder, mission accomplished by Jesus. Mission accomplished. So when you wonder, Jesus, where are you in my pain? He never leaves. He never forsakes. He took thousands of years to get the timing right, to have the Romans in place so they could spread the gospel, to have all these things for the cross. You could trust Jesus for your now because of the past he has shown rulership over. Guess what? He's still king. He's still king right now. That has been his plan all along. And now that Jesus has accomplished, he's kind of completed the process of salvation If you're a follower of his, guess what? You're still a work in process, in progress, and it's God's process. He's completed the work of salvation. Christians use this word called sanctification is what you're in now. It means being further and further set apart for the use of God's glory, right? Sanctified means, okay, it's saying that something is mine. This cup is mine. I've set it apart. It's not yours. It belongs to me. Sanctification is you handing over little bits and pieces of your life and and sin and giving it to God when he reveals it to you like, Lord, I don't want that. You take that. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. I've been hiding this little compartment in in my soul. I'm giving it to you now. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. That's sanctification, and that is God's process. That's what you're in right now.
Sometimes we may sit and wonder, though, okay, so I'm a follower of Jesus. I can trust him. Why is life so hard? I, like, I'm trusting him. Jesus, I'm trusting you. Change me. Make me. <laughs> sanctify me. Why is it so hard? That could be for all kinds of reasons. It could be because maybe people are sinning against you. It may be because of your own stupid decisions. Anybody raise their hands besides me? Uh, life could be hard for all kinds of reasons. Ultimately, we live in a fallen world. Everything is broken. And, and it, the Bible tells, tells us things are not as they should be. Um, so because of that, listen, because we live in this fallen world, and you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, my body's broken, my soul is constantly needing to be, uh, like I said, sanctified to the Lord. Um, in this life, because I'm a sinner, there's only some, some lessons that can only be learned through suffering. It's just how it is. Some lessons can only be learned through suffering. C.S. Lewis has referred to suffering as God's megaphone. He, he whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And I don't know if God, uh, I don't know if God actually gets louder in my soul, or what, but I sure do listen more. But let's be real. Do you pray more when you're hurting? Do you seek God's will? Do you seek to understand more when you're hurting or when everything's all good? When I'm hurting. When I'm hurting. If we're honest with ourselves, that's just us. That's human nature. That's what we do. Um, so we know it to be We may bristle that sanctification requires suffering. But if we're honest with ourselves and we, we look into the mirror of our soul, we know it's true. We know it's true. So God doesn't now, let me make this clear. Things are broken. This is not uh, how things were, and it's not how things are going to be. God is going to make all things new. So God doesn't want you to suffer, okay? But because you're fallen, you have to suffer a little bit to learn certain things, to get certain sin out of your life. Um, if you'd like to talk more about that, we can. I want to um, close with another song, uh, lyrics from another song that I posted on Facebook. And this was not a summary of the book of Jude, it's from Job. Anybody familiar with Job? Did Job suffer? Yeah. Job was, if you read the account of Job, it is unimaginable what the guy went through. Job had some questions for God in the middle of his suffering. Job had, uh, Job had fear of the future. Job had uh, fear of the present. Job was disoriented. He has some questions for, for God, and this song kind of summarizes that conversation between Job and God. It starts from Job's perspective. It says, I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He, God, said, Where were you? 
the day that I measured, sunk the banks and stretched the line over all the earth and carved out its cornerstone? Where were you the day that I spoke and told the sun to split the night open, caused the morning dark with its light to show? Who shut in the oceans with stone doors, marked the reach of tides on those new shores, hung the day the waves rose and first broke forth? Have you seen the springs of that great sea, walked the caverns carved in the black deep, through the gates of darkness there on its floor? Have you seen the armory that I hold? Snow and hail are stacked up in silos for the times of trouble and war and strife. Can you raise your voice to the storm cloud? Would the thunder answer and ring out? Does the lightning ask you where it should strike? Who has cleft the channels for torrents? Rain to sprout the desert with forest in the wilderness that my hand has built. Can you hunt the prey for young lions? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Is the whole world bending beneath your will? Job says, I spoke of things I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Although I had no right to ask, my God knelt and answered me. The Creator of heaven and earth says that you can trust him. He says that you could. That's, that's the point. He's God. And in Jesus, he is your father. Not like some earthly fathers. He's your heavenly father. You're his son or daughter. You are a work in progress. And it is through God's process. The question is, will you bow and worship him in the process? If you will, he will be the lifter of your head and the sustainer of your soul. Jesus says in the last verse of our passage, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Be encouraged, family. God is still God. Listen, if your trust is in Jesus, you are his. You belong to God. You can trust him because he's overcome the world. He holds the future. He holds you too. He holds you too.